please don't play this for anybody. I don't normally do this. I think we're being set up for an ambush. Dodge this. Ambushed. To be attacked suddenly by someone lying in wait. You say, well, you know, the way you preach causes us and them. It is us and them! Apostate. Someone whose beliefs have changed and who no longer belong to a religious or political group. You side with them, I'll throw you out. Get out! <laughs> Escaping cults. Rejecting delusion. Embracing reality. Breaking the chains. Freeing your mind and becoming your own person. This is the Ambushed Apostate Podcast with your host, Seth Henderson. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Ambushed Apostate Podcast. My name is Seth, and as always, thank you for choosing to spend a little bit of your valuable time with me as we discuss cults, destructive groups, undue influence, extremism, and everything that that entails. In this episode, we're going to continue our deep dive into Dr. Stephen Hassan's bite model of authoritarian control. Today's episode will be focused on the information control, or the I portion. Last episode, we discussed the behavioral control, and while I was preparing for this episode, I was really thinking about behavioral control and how these groups gain so much control over their members' behavior and, as we'll discuss in the next few episodes, over their thoughts and their emotions. But it really does come down to the information that these members are allowed to have or not have that is controlled by the leader. That's really where all this starts. Most, if not all, people who join these groups do so with good intentions. They don't walk in the door and want to be cult members. I would venture to say that almost all of them don't even realize they're walking into a cult. But again, they become a cult member in the first place because of the information they receive about the group. And sure, there's a lot of other aspects that bring new members in that we'll get into in further detail in future episodes. But as I worked on the rough draft of this episode, I really began to realize it's really the information and the control of the information that sets those deep-seated hooks into the behavior, into the thoughts and the emotions of the members. Just like we did in the last episode, we're going to keep a score. And what I'd like you to do is look at your own group or a group that you're aware of that maybe someone you know is involved in, a group that you might be considering getting involved in, and just keep track of how many of these behaviors fall into the yes column of the group that you're in. Every cult leader, including my former, run off the same playbook. There may be minor differences, but the core is always the same. Misrepresent, lie, deny. It is consistent across the board from leaders of cult groups and other destructive groups 
and they hold fast to these principles so that they can not only gain control, but maintain control of every single member in the group. Misrepresent, lie, deny. I use the analogy of a fish hook because I truly feel like that's what happened to me and listening to other cult survivors, their sentiments echo mine. But it's as if these cult leaders get a hold of these new members and they put a series of very tiny, very sharp fish hooks into the brains of the members. These fish hooks are so small and so sharp, you barely feel slight discomfort as they sink into your brain. Cult leaders have tactics in distracting you while setting these hooks, much like my dad did when I was younger, and I would go to the doctor to get a vaccine, or at one point when I was younger I fell skateboarding and knocked out some teeth, busted up my my chin pretty good and had to get some stitches. My dad was there to talk to me or distract me from the moment that that needle pierced the skin. Cult leaders do the same things. And in future episodes, we'll get into this in more detail. But they will love bomb somebody. Tell them they're the greatest thing ever and they're so happy that you're part of this group and you're so amazing and yeah, come on and join us. And here, you want some food? We got some food after the service. You're just so great. Tell me all about you. We love you here. You're so loved. And the process has already started of inserting these sharp, tiny fish hooks into the brains and metaphorically the hearts of the members. The thing about it is they can't start pulling on those fish hooks quite yet. They need a little bit of scar tissue to build up around that hole. They need that fish hook to sink in and to settle so that when they start raising their fingers ever so slightly that are attached to that fishing line, that hook doesn't pop out. That hole's closed up and that hook is now set so that any slight movement causes a very pronounced reaction from the member. So before we jump into information control and start dissecting each and every aspect and characteristic of that section of this model, just remember that if you're in one of these groups, it's a long, drawn-out, methodical, and intentional process to literally get you on and keep you on the hook. Information control. Number one, deception. Subsection A, deliberately withhold information. This occurs when the cult members are intentionally deprived of information with the purpose of keeping them ignorant on the topic at hand. I saw this constantly in my former group where the leader would stand up and give just enough information to make his point while omitting all of the information that may make his point invalid. Subsection B, distort information to make it more acceptable. This is when legitimate information is given but is distorted and misrepresented in a way that makes it easier 
to digest as a cult member. Subsection C. Systematically lie to the cult member. There are so many examples of various cult leaders lying to their cult members about any and everything I could possibly cover. But it goes back to that common theme, misrepresent, lie, deny. They lie to their cult members outright, because again, you've got the fish hooks and they're setting in. There will be several episodes detailing the blatant and outright lies not only that I experienced, but that others have experienced from every other cult group out there. The bottom line, as it relates to deception from the cult leader to the cult members, is they absolutely have to keep them stupid. I don't say that derogatory or in a hateful way towards a cult member. They're not stupid people. But when it relates to the topics at hand within the cult, they are conditioned, coerced, and programmed to believe anything that comes out of the leader's mouth without question. When you have someone who is a pathological liar and an agenda for complete control and power over all of these members coupled with the fact that the member has been forced to blindly follow this leader, you have a recipe for uneducated, uninformed members. But don't be discouraged. You can break the conditioning. And we will get into that a lot later on in this series. Number two. Minimize or discourage access to non-cult sources of information, including Subsection A. Internet, TV, radio, books, articles, newspapers, magazines, and media. This was a constant topic. Where you're getting your information from. It, It gives me a headache, to be honest, just to think back on all the They're controlling this and they're controlling that. And because they are controlling all of these things, use this social media platform. We were told directly from the pulpit, get on Gab. Use Gab. Gab, for those of you who don't know, is an alternative social media platform that breeds extremism and hatred. It's run by an extremist Christian. And again, not all Christians are extremist, but the guy who runs Gab is is unhinged. But that's where we were instructed, hey, you want to be on social media? Dump all these social media platforms. Get off of Facebook and Instagram because they're socialist groups, they're leftists, they're atheist, God-hating groups who cancel Christians and just on and on and on and on. And get on Gab. Subsection B, critical information. This is the cult programming that unfortunately my children are still under, that my ex-wife was under for years and still is, quite frankly. This is when the cult leader sets up the framework within the cult members' minds that if anyone so much as has a single negative thing to say, 
or a single valid thought-provoking question to ask of the cult leader or his doctrine that they are to be immediately shut down, shamed, and discarded. Subsection C, former members. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but again, I did know these people for the better part of 20 years. I will almost guarantee you that Steve hears every single one of these podcasts. But I would be willing to bet every dollar I have to my name that there is a concerted effort to keep every single active member as far away from this content as possible. Because what cult leaders fear the most is a former member who has somehow managed to get off of their back to remove their boot from their throat, to stand up, to create distance, and to get away from these psychotic abusers. The last thing they want is current members listening to former members talk about not only the abuse that's taking place, but also the fact that there is life outside of these destructive groups. They will stop at nothing to control and suppress the information that any former members have against the group. Subsection D. Keep members busy so they don't have time to think and investigate. We touched on this a little bit last episode, but this goes back to the cult leaders standing in front of the congregation and reminding them Sunday service isn't good enough. Tuesday Bible study is not good enough. Wednesday man class is not good enough. Women's Bible study, not good enough. Their children's program, not good enough. I'm going to send you emails every day, whether that be their own publications, or articles, or sermons, or other podcasts, or videos, any other propaganda that line up with their insane beliefs and ideas, and they push those onto the members continually to make sure they don't have time to think or investigate the topic at hand because they have so much information. It becomes such a massive undertaking and such a convoluted mess. It's so much easier for the members to just look to the leader and just say, Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We believe, sir. What else would you like us to read, sir? We're horrible people because we haven't read enough, sir. Give us more. There's no need to think for ourselves. You're doing all the thinking for us. There's no need to investigate these claims as absolutely insane as they are sometimes. We believe you, sir. Subsection E. Control through cell phone with texting, calls, and internet tracking. This sounds absolutely insane, and it is, to anybody who's not inside one of these groups that specifically use Section 2, Subsection E. But this is a real thing, and it is terrifying that people allow this. I'll give a quick example of how this impacted my life personally while I was in the Church Without Walls. 
early on in my ex-wife and I's marriage, we were continually pressured into installing software on our devices that would track our internet use. This came in the form of a program called Covenant Eyes. This was the same software that Josh Duggar had on his computer that he was able to successfully bypass and conceal his sexual deviance and his inappropriate and abusive material, including children. But we were pressured into getting Covenant Eyes. And basically what Covenant Eyes does is it sends your digital data to someone else so that they can quote-unquote keep you accountable. But I was adamantly against this software because, quite frankly, I'm an adult. I'm married, by the way, to, at the time, your daughter. So what you're telling me is you want to see my text messages, and I don't have to explain the type of text messages one may probably send to their spouse. So to me, it was not only attempting to dictate what I do and don't do, who I text and don't text, who I call and don't call, what I watch and don't watch. This had a specifically perverted twist because in my mind I'm going, you want to see the text messages that I share between your daughter, my wife? Pervert. Disgusting. So after a long period of time of being pressured and bullied into trying to get this installed on our devices, and me saying, hey, ain't gonna happen, bro. Even with the control they had over me at the time, I drew that line. And eventually, I believe, they just moved on to a different topic. He knew, okay, he's not gonna budge on this. At least not on my phone. Maybe she gave her phone to him. I don't know. Don't really care. The bottom line is this is used to control, again, your behaviors and your activities when it comes to your own time with the cult, but also your off time. I want to see who you're texting. I want to see who you're calling. I want to see what you're watching, what you're listening to, what you're reading. And if I don't like those things, we start raising the fingers again. We start tugging those fish hooks. Quite frankly, this is one of the most disgusting aspects of the entire bite model for a grown adult to want to spy on the members of his congregation. This perverted, intrusive, and deviant behavior should make anyone engaging in it ashamed. Section 3. Compartmentalize information into insider versus outsider doctrines. Subsection A. Ensure that information is not freely accessible. This is done by leaning on other tactics like covenant eyes and other internet monitoring. The constant attention the leader may pay to you with regards to your source of news or your source of entertainment on the internet or in other forms. They have to control the information. And so they have to put things in place, whether it be guilting and shaming, belittling and mocking, or as we just discussed, software that reports back to them like some sort of digital age brown shirt 
to make sure you're not accessing things that they don't want you to see. Subsection B. Control information at different levels and missions within the group. Subsection C. Allow only leadership to decide who needs to know what and when. Section 4. Encourage spying on other members. Subsection A. Impose a buddy system to monitor and control the member. In a lot of cases, this comes in the form of a prayer partner or an accountability partner. These are the people you're supposed to go to and say, Hey, uh, you know, I just got all these quote-unquote sins, these besetting sins that I just can't get over. And I, I need to tell you, I need to tell you so you can help me pray through them. When in reality, the more people who know, the more likely it is that it gets back to the leader, and then the leader will decide how to manipulate or to shame or to control that original member for their shortcomings. But the buddy system is very common, especially in cult groups. Subsection B, report deviant thoughts, feelings, and actions to leadership. We touched on this last episode, and I have a whole independent episode planned for these backroom confessions, for these quote-unquote counseling sessions, where the members go in, they confess their sins, they talk about what they've done, no accountability, the door is closed, they're on the big black couch, and they're coerced, pressured, manipulated, and if there's any resistance, shamed, guilted, or belittled for not confessing their deviant thoughts and feelings, their actions. And of course, we see this in the Catholic Church and have for quite literally centuries. And there has been case after case after case of Catholic priests who hear someone confess to them some sort of sexual behavior that they deem inappropriate, and then later that exact member is sexually assaulted. And in at least one instance that I'm aware of, the case of Irene Garza back in April of 1960, she was then sexually assaulted and murdered by the very priest she had confessed to. This is not only, again, perverted deviant, disgusting behavior, but it also is very dangerous. Subsection C. Ensure that individuals' behavior is monitored by the group. This is an extra layer that's put into place where members are encouraged to confess things to other members of the group. So again, it can get back to the leader and he can do with it what he's going to do. When I was involved in this group, there was a man's class on Wednesday nights. My ex-wife led the women's Bible study on Saturday mornings. And within these groups, you would get together with your peers, and you would quote-unquote, tell each other what you're struggling with. Where have you fallen short this week? This information is then reported back to the leader, and he does with it what he will. Section 5. Extensive use of cult-generated information and propaganda, including Subsection A. 
newsletters, magazines, journals, audio tapes, videotapes, YouTube, movies, and other media. As we've pretty much thoroughly covered at this point, under this section of the model, the cult leader dictates what you can and can't watch, read, listen to, and otherwise interact with. Subsection B, misquoting statements or using them out of context from non-cult sources. This was another constant behavior from my former leader and something that I've seen throughout the Christian nationalist movement that's infecting our country right now like a cancer. Fundamentalist Christian nationalist groups have mastered taking a quote, distorting and misrepresenting it in a number of various ways, and then disseminating it out to their groups. It is shocking and would take up far more time than we have right now to get into the absolutely unglued statements, beliefs, including a lot of QAnon beliefs. Again, we'll get there, but not today. Just be mindful that everything that comes out of cult leaders' mouths are to control and manipulate and to gain power over their members. If they have to distort or misrepresent a statement or a piece of information to do that, bet your last dollar that that's exactly what they're doing. And number six, unethical use of confession. Subsection A, information about sins used to disrupt and or dissolve identity boundaries. This takes a little more unpacking, and again, we're going to do that at a later time. But at first you're required to confess your sins to the leader, and then they systematically break you down and use that information against you. Subsection B, withhold forgiveness or absolution. And subsection C, manipulation of memory, possibly false memories. When you repeat a lie enough times, people begin to believe it. When you discredit someone who's speaking the truth, or you discredit information that goes against your narrative for long enough, because of those fish hooks, you can easily manipulate the memories of your followers and implant false memories. No, that's not what happened. I didn't call your former employer to try to get you in trouble or to get you fired. Someone else did. That's how that really happened. Don't you remember? When in reality, that wasn't the case at all. That's an example of manipulation of memories. On one side of the coin, they misrepresent, they lie, they deny. They control all information in every way possible. And on the opposite side of the coin, you have well-meaning people who, after a certain period of time, have turned into full-blown lemmings with dozens 
of deeply set fish hooks implanted in the most sensitive areas of their brain. This allows for every aspect covered under the eye section of the bite model to be planned out and executed by the cult leader to achieve what they're ultimately after, and that is power and control over their members. So that concludes the information control section of the bite model. I'll ask, just like I did last episode, how many of these behaviors fall into the yes column in your group? I don't want to sound like I'm being hyperbolic, or I'm blowing this out of proportion or making it something that it's not, exaggerating the facts. But every single aspect of the information control section was demonstrated over and over and over and still is to this day within the church without walls. Their goal is to control what you know, what you don't know, what you think and what you don't think, so that they can then control the other aspects like your behavior and your emotions, your thoughts. But it starts with the information that you know or don't know. Every single aspect of this portion was something that I was subjected to constantly within my former cult group. I hope that this breakdown helped you further understand the bite model, and I hope that it helped you find some guidance in whatever group you may be in right now, or whatever group you may be studying, whatever group you may see someone else that you care about in, so that again you have tools and information that are based in facts and in science that demonstrate that this group is leaning heavily towards cult behavior. My clue for this week is the following clip. If you'll remember back a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that if you pay attention to these cult leaders, they will tell you exactly who they are, what they believe, and what their intentions are. They're so arrogant, so brazen, They don't try to cover up their true personality and their true intentions. Not at a certain point, at least. So I'm looking at this and I'm talking, thinking about total commitment and I'm thinking about being totally sold out to the Lord. And we talk about being a 10 spiritually or a 12 spiritually. And the Lord asked me the questions I'm going to ask you. Do you remember when you gave your life to the Lord? or when you got saved or gave your heart to him or whatever you choose to call it. Do you remember that? I was 28 years old and I remember it like it was yesterday. And and I remember the change that took place in me. And I remember that being my father's son, one of the things that I did like my dad is I would lie. Whenever I was confronted with a situation that made me look bad or I was going to get in trouble, I would just immediately lie. And I would lie very convincingly, and I would hold on to my lies no matter what. Even in front of all this evidence that I am lying, I would just hold on to that because then the other person would think maybe they got it wrong, and that's that's how it was. I married Karen and brought all that into our married life. 
they weren't big lies, but they were nevertheless lies. You know, we get the phone bill. The phone bill was a lot more than it should have been. It's because I made all these calls to my brother. And, and so she would ask about that. And it was a knee-jerk reaction. I would just lie, lie. When I got saved, it seemed like all I did was apologize to her for lies that I had told her for six months. I mean, it was a change that took place. Do you remember what happened when you got saved? Shocking disturbing that there is anyone still sitting in those seats on Sunday mornings, on Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, and whenever else they meet these days. This man just admitted, not just to his congregation from the pulpit, in a public setting, that he is a pathological liar, but then posted that sermon to the internet for the entire world to listen to. He's admittedly a pathological liar, and he has admittedly mastered the art of gaslighting other people. He describes in detail how he sticks to his lies, regardless of the evidence, to the point that it makes the person he's lying to feel like they're the ones who are mistaken or who are wrong. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary has two definitions for gaslighting. Let me read both of those, and while I do, think about, is the leader of whatever group I'm in guilty of this type of malicious, damaging behavior? Definition number one, psychological manipulation of a person, usually over an extended period of time, that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality, or memories, and typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence, and self-esteem, uncertainty of one's emotions or mental stability, and a dependence on the perpetrator. I'm going to lie to your face until you believe you're the one that's wrong. Truly disgusting. Definition two, the act or practice of grossly misleading someone, especially for one's own advantage. They must have control so that they can manipulate and control every aspect of your life. Misrepresent, lie, deny. There's your massive clue, your blatant and obvious red flag. If your leader, your pastor, your priest, your mentor, your political head, whatever the case is, whoever is leading the group, if they engage in gaslighting, you are almost certainly in a cult. These people master psychological manipulation, and they use it to their own advantage. It's disgusting. It's perverse. It's wrong. My recommendation for this episode is more so of a challenge to you guys, and it also ties into my clue of the week. I'll give just a little bit of backstory before I play this clip 
Some of you may be familiar with Rhett McLaughlin and Link Neal. They're the two hosts of the wildly popular YouTube show, Good Mythical Morning. They've been doing YouTube content since the beginning of YouTube, uh, about 17 years now. And for a long period of time, they were evangelical Christians. They both went through a deconversion process in 2020. And it really didn't affect their content. They discussed this deconversion during one of their podcasts. But their content was always family-friendly, although recently it has gotten a little more suggestive in some of the topics, as their audience is growing from children to teenagers and young adults. But some of my fondest memories of when my kids were younger and my family was still intact was sitting down and watching Good Mythical Morning, all seven of us, It was something that we all really enjoyed, and it was good, clean family fun. I want you to listen to the following clip where Steve McCraney talks about Rhett and Link. I want you to pay specific attention to the second half of this clip. Let's go ahead and play it, and then we'll discuss the recommendation based on this clip. We have a tendency of following on Twitter and Facebook and, I don't know, Instagram and Facebook, people who have achieved certain levels that we want in the secular world, and they are vile people. And yet we follow them. We don't despise them. You know, Rhett and Link. Uh, Kids love Rhett and Link. Grandkids love Rhett and Link. You know who Rhett and Link are? And it's these two guys that do this little daily show, and it's the hilarious and do kind of funny things. And we followed them for years, even when they first started out on YouTube, until all of a sudden they decided to deconstruct their faith and they're no longer a believer in Jesus Christ, which is fine. But they've made it their passion now to make sure you're no longer a believer in Jesus Christ too. And so they've actively gone and decided they want to destroy everybody else's faith so that you can be like they are. I'm not watching them anymore. I mean, why? Again, they're still funny. They still do the same stuff they've always done, but they placed themselves in a position where they are despised and vile now because they're, but they're still funny. It doesn't matter. So he makes it very clear that even though it's quote unquote okay for them to deconvert, which, spoiler alert, it is most definitely not okay in his mind. The second I deconverted was when the destruction of my family unit really started. Now, I obviously can't play both episodes of their podcast, both Rhett's episode and Link's episode, detailing their deconversion. But I can link them in the description, and that's going to be my recommendation for this episode. Take what Steve McCraney has just said about these two individuals, and this claim that they want to turn everyone against Jesus... And listen to the podcast yourselves and see if you can find anywhere in either one of these podcasts that have anything to do with turning kids against Jesus. As a matter of fact, they are nothing but humble, sincere, and kind, even to the community of Christians that they left behind. This is just another example of misrepresenting lying, and denying. If you've made it this far, thank you so much, because you've made it to the end of yet another episode. Again, I hope this was informative and helpful. 
I appreciate everyone's support, all of the messages, the encouragement, and the interest in my work mean more to me than I can possibly explain. So all I'll say again is thank you. So until next time, my name is Seth, and this has been the Ambushed Apostate Podcast.